Welcome to A Slice of Orange, a podcast on politics in North Orange County, California, with me, Jody Balma, professor of political science at Fullerton College. Today's guest, Dr. Jose Moreno, was first elected to the city council in Anaheim in 2016 and again in 2018 to represent District 3, which covers North Central Anaheim. Prior to that, he served on the Anaheim City School Board and is involved in many community organizations, including president of Los Amigos of Orange County, the Orange County Housing Corporation, and the Orange County Communities for Responsible Development. He's also a colleague of mine, a professor of Cal State Long Beach, concentrating on Latino education and policy studies. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. So first, let's talk about what motivated you to get involved in community organizations, and when did you first think about running for office? Well, um, well I first got involved in what could be considered like community engagement uh, at the college level. Uh, I mean, as, as kids, we're all involved. Many of us are involved in different things, like Little League, but those are activities that we get engaged in, maybe student councils. But I would say in terms of consequential community organizing from the standpoint of wanting to actually make change intentionally. It was as an undergraduate student at UCI, uh, I was involved in Mecha, uh, Movimiento Estudiantil Chicanos Aslan, uh, which is not going to change its name, but it's, um, so I, I got to campus and um, one, it was a way to connect to people. There were not a lot of Latinos on campus at UCI. Mm-hmm. And uh, we looked around and said, where is everybody? Because most of us come from height, highly or hyper-segregated Latino environments. And so you just kind of wonder, how did I get here? What happened and where's everybody? So you begin to ask yourself, um, what's different? And so you also feel different. You're made to feel different, made to be made to feel different. Um, And so uh, we just began to ask questions and that led us to asking questions about policies uh, about funding for programming um, and curriculum. So we didn't have a Chicano Latino studies program or ethnic studies program or department at UCI. So we began to organize around that. And that just kind of really, I think, fueled for me the motivation, both intrinsic, but also extrinsic to, 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 to always examine a community that I'm in and, and look at where um, there are pockets of or systems of injustice and fight for those. So School board, um, I wasn't, that's a different um, animal in many ways because it is formal political office. I had never had an interest in formal political office in that regard. I was always, um, well, since college, I knew that I wanted to engage in community work, um, organizing communities. Um, so I went into education uh, with a huge interest in policy formation and process. And uh, when there was a school board opening, we moved back to Anaheim, there was a school board opening. Uh, I wasn't even aware of it, um, and several community folks um, pushed me and said, you know, there's no one that wants to do it right now, and it's quick, it just opened, the filing ends in two weeks, uh, you have a doctorate in education, who better, you're a dad, um, jump on in there, and uh, here I am. <laughs> That's great. I, you know, of course love that uh, that your interest in community involvement got started in college because of course I always encourage my own students uh, and and at a commuter school like we have so many of in Southern California I think it's really crucial um, now clearly complicated by the pandemic to get involved but I think that there are ways to find like-minded people who have similar interests um, and and to really break out of the commuter mindset. Um, that we so often find our students in. So, 
love yeah. that. Yeah, well, you know, Julie, what, what, as I reflect back, I mean, I, I got, in fact, every time I get together, I have a number of friends from undergrad days that I'm still in contact with that are here locally in Orange County. They're involved in a lot of important things. A couple of them are actually elected office. And uh, when we get together, we reflect back of how that was a base understanding to our ideological positioning about power. Uh, mm -hmm. an agency where if you're, I was a commuter student as undergrad for my first year and actually every year I was a commuter student. Um, but what I learned and what we all learned is somebody is making decisions that impact your daily life. Yeah. And either you sit back and you live with those, within those decisions um, that may be even good for you, but not good for others around you. Um, but that you can, with your agency, you can actively advocate, push, and change how and who makes those decisions. And that was really powerful, right? Even a basic program like orientation for freshmen uh, at UC Irvine, uh, it was geared towards middle-class Anglo students, white students, and a lot of first-generation students across racial ethnic backgrounds, low-income students, couldn't relate to the culture of how orientation programs were set up, especially residential orientation. So we got involved in that. And yeah. we shifted it. We shifted it. So right. that's the same approach that we take in city council right. that I took up school board. Yeah, absolutely. And and you first came to to my attention when you ran for city council. Uh, I was really impressed with the number of young people, particularly young men of color, who were volunteering and active on your campaign. Um, in fact, you know, I, I say this all the time. Uh, that when I ask students in Fullerton College if they can name a school board or a city council member, it is students from Anaheim School District that raise their hands. And often it's those who work on your campaigns mm. and who know you and others in the community who are really engaging those young people to get involved. So what has that meant for the city of Anaheim? Um, and why did you think it was important to involve them in your campaign? Well, it was well, one. It was everything, um, because our entire vision of our work is is the ideal that you know you leave the world better for the next generation, and and you may not make it perfect, but then the next generation can then work on those on what's left to work on and just keep building. Um, and so, uh, so for us, for me, um, it is about my kids. I mean, I have children. And, and through them, I see their friends. And then I see my 15, 16, 12-year-old self. And I just think, my gosh, I'm, I'm hearing. And then in classrooms as a professor, I hear the same stories, the same struggles in the same ways that, that I struggled. And you think, wait a minute. This is the generation that's supposed to be better. Um, and, and so when I, share, when I share with a lot of young people my stories, uh, my process, uh, through different community work, let alone through elected office, um, they sit there and like, wow. Uh, and, the, and their parents, frankly, their parents like, wow, that's kind of what we're going through right now. Uh, so then that's why I pose you know, yeah. the, the opportunity, I guess, to say, look, well, why don't we work? Let's work to, 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 to change that. You have the agency. They keep telling uh, young people, you're the future. And so we keep, I keep right. trying to engage them and saying, you're the present. Because if you do something today, Right. You actually shape your future. So, um, so they, they honestly, young people, that they, they'll take you at your word. Um, but they, they like, like, at the end of the day, it's, it's honesty and authenticity. And at the mm -hmm. point where they feel you're not authentic anymore, they don't expect you to win every fight. They don't expect you to sure. win every election. 
but they're like, at least give us a chance. Right. And, right. And, um, so it's been, it's meant the world for us, certainly uh, on real terms without young people in our, in our campaign, we don't win the election. They were, mm-hmm. they were the, the, they were the folks knocking on doors. They were talking to their friends, talking to the neighbors, talking to their parents and their parents' friends. Right. Um, I, I, I think what, was I one of the things I was really appreciative of is that parents trusted us to have their children walk with us out in right. the streets. Right. That was pretty cool. And so a lot of parents did say, "Hey, I'm not, I haven't seen my my young man or my young woman, my young my student, uh, my child that excited about politics." Um, and you got them thinking they could really change the city. And I said, "Because right. we can. Because we can. We can. Yeah." And so. so- we did. And and yeah, absolutely. Um, so Anaheim, like many Orange County cities, has recently gone from at-large elections where everyone on the board is elected from the entire city to district-based. Um, how do you think that's worked in Anaheim? Uh, well, I wouldn't be in office without it, first of all. Um, so so from that standpoint, it worked out great. Although when we filed the lawsuit and I was a plaintiff, that wasn't certainly my intent at the time. Um, I... I was I enjoyed being on the school board. It's my area of interest and in research and teaching. So it just was a natural thing for me, um, and, and I loved it. And, and and really talking to people about look, schools are the foundation, and there's people making decisions about what happens in our schools, um, and and we have the power to 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 shape that. So running for city council was not again a political not a political interest of mine. Um, but we did see that people were trying to get elected to city council. And um, from the school board perspective, we were frustrated because we could do all we can, make the right policies, get, you know, support the teachers, support classified to provide support. But at the end, when children go home to, to divested neighborhoods, uh, overcrowded housing, uh, lack of public facilities or programming that fits their their uh, particular developmental stage, then all of the things that we did in the school for six hours gets undermined, right? And so uh, poverty wages and lack of health care, all those things. Right. Um, so so we, we started to really work hard on organizing around working with the city, but the city had no interest. So as we tried to get people elected to city council to help work with, with the condition of children and families in Anaheim, we just couldn't break through because the money was, was just immense. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus of the council was based on who gave them money. Uh, and that in Anaheim means the resort industry, uh, it meant angels baseball and the huge entertainment venues. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't mean your local residents, some of whom did give money here and there, but, um, it just nowhere near enough. So district elections, uh, we said there's, it, it's better to have people who understand neighborhoods, uh, to sit at there and have a seat at the table. And also uh, provides an opportunity for folks to truly influence who represents them. That means that their vote would mean something. And a lot of people stopped voting because they felt their vote didn't mean anything because why vote? We know that the big money person is going to win. And Anaheim Hills disproportionately has a voting population in the flatlands in terms of geographic areas. So they they always tended to influence the outcome of the election. So... were vastly overrepresented on the on the council, right? At least in recent times over yeah. the past twenty years, uh, and and then we just saw that whenever the hills had an issue, there was a tension. And when right. we were raised issues from our neighborhoods, it was oh, kind of wait in line kind of thing. Oh, we don't have money for that, or oh, mm-hmm. so. Uh, but the other part that we saw in the data uh, is that we saw that Latino candidates 
from Latino neighborhoods just couldn't get support, just couldn't right. get money to run. Uh, and so they would disproportionately just get, um, and they couldn't win, we couldn't win. And so that's where we looked at different tools because we did, we did petition. I mean, actually for 30 years, different community members at different times, um, Los Amigos being one that consistently was asking, I mean, David, let's move to district elections. Let's move to mm-hmm. district elections. Uh, the city's getting really large. Right. It's better to have local representation. And they just got rebuffed over and over by the councils uh, because it doesn't serve the corporate interest to be able to deal with neighborhood right. needs. So and the we spending found- in the city council elections compared to yeah. other cities is just so, I mean, it's just such an outlier far beyond per population spending when you compare, you know, what a candidate in Brea spends to run for city council to right. what somebody in Anaheim has to mount. It is starkly different. Right. The, the norm became you have to raise $100,000 for a city council seat for yourself and then right. uh, PACs, right, independent expenditures get raised at two, three, four hundred thousand dollars to support your candidacy. So right. you're really looking at having to build up a combined campaign war chest, as they call it, of, of, of half a million dollars. Yeah, which and for for a city council seat in the city of Anaheim, right. uh, that, you know, right. for three hundred sixty thousand people, and that's because we're a company town. At the end of the day, when you're a company yeah. town, and if candidates are running that are saying, "Let's balance out the power in this city." Uh, the company gets nervous and they, yeah. they get their candidate and they make sure their candidates win and the people get uh, breadcrumbs and um, yeah, the company gets the entire loaf. Now, uh, the one thing that I wasn't anticipating was, and, and, you know, when you look at the spending of the independent expenditures in the city council races for Anaheim, um, the, 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 the downside is, do you make it cheaper for SOAR and other independent expenditures when, when they can, you know, drown out and, and go negative against a candidate in a district? And then how is that balanced from the grassroots neighborhood? You know, you can outwalk them, you can out knock on doors and talk to neighbors and, and, and do that. I think that that was one thing that I hadn't really considered of, oh, it's a lot cheaper for some of these independent expenditures to only do a sixth of the city compared to what they used to have to spend against a single candidate. Um, yes. Uh, I'm not sure we've seen that, though. Um, I'm not sure we've seen that. Yeah, political scientists just like to theorize a lot. We have to wait a long time for the actual election, so we play with polls and simulations. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make it not true, right? It doesn't yeah. it doesn't invalidate the the null hypothesis. But what I'm saying is that um, it, it may be true. We, we may begin to see it, but at least for Anaheim, this 2020 election will be our third cycle. Yeah. So in 2014. Disney spent a record amount to elect their candidates. It was record that they invested in a right. pack, that they invested directly in candidates, and, and then SOAR, um, which gets funded by Disney as well as the hotel industries as a pack. They spent record monies, raised record monies, and that was still at large. And that was also the year that we voted to whether to move to district elections or not. We moved to districts in 2016, and they broke their record again right. uh, in 2016. Um, I, and then in 2018, that's where your theory might start playing out because we didn't see them spend as much, 
um, because there were less races, right? Right. And so, um, so I would I would say that I think in, um, in in our experience, for example, for me, um, and I think also their expenditures are proportional to how much of a threat they feel by the candidates in the sure. district. Right? Sure. Sure. So so when I ran uh, in in my first race in 2016, um, again and going back to why did I run uh, or what motivated me, I uh, finished my term. I, I finished. 2014, I finished my term on the school board. We don't have term limits, but I just felt eight years was, that's about it for me. Sure. You've done what you can. At some point, you become you become <laughs> the, the norm. Right. So I thought, you know, it's important to get uh, folks that may have similar ideas, the same vision, but just different voices that have different perspectives in there. Uh, so I stopped, uh, and that was it for me. But 2016 comes with districts, and in my area, the incumbent, was a huge, huge um, proponent of the resort industry and the Disney resort and hotels and developers and police union. Um, so nobody wanted to run in the district against them because they felt, what's the right. point? Right. And, and so nobody, we were approaching a lot of people, come on, you'd, you'd be great. Nobody would take on the big money. Sure. So that still exists uh, to the theory that you're talking about. The, it, it, uh, it may not play out, but the theory is still. We'll see. Head. We'll um, see. Yeah. Um, and so it suppressed people's willingness to run. So I said, you know what? And I'm going to run because uh, I cannot vote for somebody that to me is the problem of why we needed districts. So mm-hmm. so we ran. We raised about, by the final tally, about 57000 But by about election day, because then we got some, some of that came in late, but we really ran in about $40,000. We had no paid staff. And going back to young people, they wanted to get involved because they, they heard our message. And again, I was talking to a lot of neighborhoods uh, through the schools. Um, so I knew them. Um, but the uh, the Disney Resort and the business community, the hotels, they um, they the candidate himself, the incumbent, raised, uh, I believe, $150,000 on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been more. It might have been like two hundred. dollars Wow. Um, and then the independent expenditures were three to 400000 so yeah. literally in my district, um, where we have 19,000 voters, um, the, the, the Disney, the resort, the, the, the corporate interests of Anaheim, um, collectively with the candidate, uh, spent about $700,000 right. for, for, for a part-time job. Yeah. Yeah. It, we get I a mean, get a stipend. you get a stipend, um, it, it, yeah, you know, get a stipend. It, but for 19,000 voters, right. Yeah. And and we won um, with forty thousand dollars, truly cash on hand. Ultimately, right. we were able to gain fifty-seven because people gave in the last minute. But we won with young people, with uh, hotel workers who came in in the last few weeks and started helping mm-hmm. us knocking on doors. And 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 we know that political scientists. I think there's a consensus now that that if you want to activate voters, you have to touch them. You have to knock on the door and yes. talk to them. Yes. And if they meet the candidate or if they meet people who authentically know the candidate, yes. uh, they're more likely to then vote for you. I think people are, are getting more and more uh, mature about that. If someone knocks on your door, it could be someone that's paid by a company that lives in Riverside. Right. right? So our, our residents in this district, at least we're asking, are you paid to walk or are you a volunteer? Mm-hmm. And, and many of them were so impressed that a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old was knocking on the door saying, you know, we want uh, our future to be our present or our present to be our future. 
Uh, did you know that Disney is getting over $300 million in corporate subsidies with tax-free exemptions? And the people were like, how do you know all this? Like, because I'm working on this campaign and I've been studying it and right. we need to change this. So people were so impressed that young people were engaged. But yeah, Jody, we ran uh, $40,000, dollars $50, against $700,000. And, and so, yeah, the district still attracts money depending on how much of a threat Sure. Those companies feel, and we sure. are very explicit. We are going into city council to shift the paradigm of Anaheim to focus on neighborhoods and residents. Uh, I think the the moniker that I was using most um, most frequently, or the message, was we've spent over a billion dollars on the resort industry to build up the Disney Resort, which we have the taxpayer dollars. Uh, it's time to invest in the children of Anaheim. Mm-hmm. So we spent over a billion investing in the children of tourists. It's time to invest in the children of Anaheim. That was right. our message, and, and yeah. it resonated very well. Yeah. So let's talk about another big player in Anaheim. Uh, the deal with the city uh, back in December that Anaheim City Council agreed to sell Angel Stadium and the surrounding parking lot for $325 million. Yeah. Uh, the deal was done, but the city said the structure was subject to change, and recently it was announced that Artie Moreno would pay um, $150 million because he agreed to include close to 500 units of affordable housing and a seven-acre park within that uh, city to rise on the 150-acre stadium property. So what do you think about that deal? The deal to sell and the deal to change? Yeah. Um, so at face value, I'm actually getting my first briefing, believe it or not, um, uh, today, this afternoon. Um, and we're expected to vote on it in a week or two, I think, um, in terms of this more recent community benefits agreement deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the purchase agreement was completed in December, as you said, $325 million. Um, the, the people of Anaheim, and they, they had the meeting in a special meeting on a Friday, the week before Hanukkah um, and Christmas. So, um, so they, they, they tried as hard as they could to limit the public, uh, the public participation in, in that deal. Um, and 100 people showed up. And most of those folks said, don't do this. This is, that land is worth easily half a million, uh, half a billion dollars, 500 million. Um, the, the, the purchase agreement in December solidified that Arnie Moreno can drop fully the name Anaheim from the team name. So it would only be known as Los Angeles Angels. Right now it's the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Of Anaheim. Because by contract, by the lease, he has to have Anaheim in the name. But a judge ruled it doesn't, that it doesn't require where the name is. So that's why it's Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But for all intents and purposes in marketing, they dropped Anaheim. Right. But legally, that's the team name. So the purchase agreement also does allow for him to legally drop the name. Uh, so it'll only be Los Angeles Angels. Uh, that's our rival city in many ways, right? Right. Uh, and so it's, it's pretty disrespectful, I think, to the, to the people. Because part of the sell of Angels baseball is the pride of, of yes. having a major league team in our city, the pride of Anaheim. And their name, and they're called Los Angeles. So they they agreed to that deal, and 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 they didn't highlight this as much in the public space, but that was the maximum price we would get for that land, 153 acres of prime time Orange County land. Um, and so um, they they voted for the deal, um, and in the in the in the fine print, you might say it said that. Uh, there will be a negotiation for community benefits agreements that the city may be interested in, which may, and it actually says it this way, which may alter the price, the final price. 
Um, and so uh, what that what that means now, what that meant um, for them at the time, I'm sure they knew this, is that the city does have a desperate need for affordable housing. Uh, in my district alone, for example, uh, 50% of households have a, um, have a household income of $50,000 uh-huh. uh, or less. Uh, one out of four households have a median income of $25,000. Wow. Um, and we have the highest concentration of poverty and working poverty in the city. Two words that should never go together, working poverty. Right, right. right. Um, so people are working and they're working full time and they're still, still um, uh, in, a, in a poverty stricken situation. So, so we have a desperate need. Uh, there are 15,000 households in the city of Anaheim who are severely, what's called severely rent burdened. Uh, you should, um, the, the standard is that about 30 to 33% of your income should go to housing and two thirds towards you know, food and shelter and entertainment and other needs. Uh, in Anaheim, uh, we have 15,000 homes where over I think 55 to 60% of their income uh, is going to housing. Uh, so it's called red burden. Right. Um, and, and as the report that the city itself wrote to the federal government as we request housing funds says, essentially these are our most at-risk um, residents for homelessness, right? Mm-hmm. So, we build shelters for the current homeless. This is the next wave uh, right. if we don't deal with right. the situation. So, so the city council did say back in December, well, we do have an interest in affordable housing. We were assured that we would be able to publicly discuss what we mean by community benefits, what we would like to see in that negotiation. Unfortunately, there were no meetings agendized or just this item was not discussed at all until it was sunshine on September 4th, the Friday before Labor Day weekend, um, where it was posted on the Planning Commission agenda for their review and approval. And they were set up in a special meeting for the following Wednesday. So literally 2,000 pages of staff report and documents the Planning Commissioners had to read on a Friday for for a meeting on Wednesday. Um, The public also um, wasn't able to read that until that Friday as well to give any input. And council members have not been briefed, at least I wasn't, or Denise Barnes, the other councilwoman that I've spoke, spoken to about this, uh, have not been briefed at all. So, so I, I give all that as context because what the deal is, is that um, from the starting price of 325 the city will keep two acres, uh, as it turns out, for a water well and a fire station. Again, something we didn't discuss. Uh, so the starting price now is $320 million. Um, they're going to reduce the price to a, by 120 Five million rounding up uh, to provide 466 units of affordable housing, um, and then they're reducing the price another 46 million to construct um, a seven-acre park, which will actually be more like a six-acre park because about an acre may be used for parking. So, yeah. uh, so it's 170 million dollar reduction in in what people of Anaheim were told a 325 million dollar sale. Still, again, at swap meet parking price, um, right. We believe it's worth at least 650 million. We showed it up on the screen in December. The council did not approve of that alternative price for us. Um, so it, it started at 325, and now we're down to 150 million cash for the city net cash, and uh, it'll be paid in equal installments of 20 million dollars a year for five years. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the 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 detail uh, is uh. that the the headline that the mayor and the proponents of the deal are saying is. 
we're doing what Anaheim wants. We're building affordable housing, which is really hard to do, and we're expanding and getting a public park. So a couple of things about that as we looked at the deal more in more details, which we'll learn more about today in our briefing, uh, is that the timeline for building the affordable housing is says it in the contract that Angels SRB management, actually, that's the other part. It's not a deal with Angels Baseball. The owner of Angels Baseball um, created a new company in November, a month before the deal was finalized. And so the purchase actually is being made by that new company, SRB management. And SRB management then says, if you do this deal with us, we will then agree to keep the Angels in Anaheim for at least 30 years. That was the okay. That was the whole rationale. So uh, SRB management will have 25 years, up to 25 years, to build 466 affordable oh. housing units. Oh. So it's not like the city of Anaheim, where our desperate need is right now. Right. It's going to get affordable housing in the next two or three years at the levels we need. So, um, so basically, we're paying 124 million today to get on average 18 affordable housing units a year for the next 25 years. Right. It, it's insane when you think of it from that perspective. The other perspective is that that the stadium workers of Anaheim Stadium and, and Artie Moreno as a company is known to be amongst the lowest paying owners in baseball for their employees right. uh, in terms of average wages. Uh, so in, in essence, what we're going to do is we're going to give Artie Moreno $125 million to build affordable housing that his workers will need because they don't get paid enough. <laughs> Right. Ford market right. in that very development. So we're essentially paying as a city to house his workers because they won't pay them enough. He's also going to build two hotels, and I don't believe they'll be union hotels. Um, but even then, the wages that even a union worker makes in Anaheim, still it's working poverty. So, right. um, so in these two hotels, there'll be hotel workers, housekeepers, uh, janitors, and whatnot, maintenance staff that will need affordable housing. So essentially, we're paying to house the people that will be servicing this new small city they're calling mm-hmm. it. And, and that's what makes wow. it so tragic. The last thing that I'll add to it is on the park deal, um, we're buying back our own land, essentially is what that means. Um, and the city is saying that SRB management, Angels Baseball, will maintain the park. It's going to be a world-class park, and they're going to maintain it, and the city then will save money on long-term maintenance. So when, you, when we looked at what makes up the $46 million and the price that they're reducing to build and do this park, it's, it's $15 million for the land itself for seven acres, about $2 million an acre. Uh, and then it's $25 million to actually build the park, right, all the amenities on it, right. to develop it. And then $6 million for maintenance costs. So we're actually paying the maintenance up front in the deal. Again, it's not the SRB management is paying to maintain it. We are paying them to maintain right. it for the next 10, 20 years. Wow. So, so, so those are the basics, yeah. The basics, yeah. Uh, so um, l- let me talk about social media. You're very active on social media, Twitter in particular. Is, is that an effective way for residents to follow their elected leaders and officials? I, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it is. Uh, but it, when I think residents, there's such a diverse set of sure. folks, right? Um, uh, from generational uh, to language. And so so it, it's one of the tools that we use. Um, and we're starting to use it more frequently. 
Um, we're starting to tag national figures in the conversation. Uh, we're kind of saying, hey, look at Anaheim, folks. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. here. All of you around the world who think Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, um, we're tagging folks saying, take a look, right? Um, sure. We, we know that that might, that gives us another fighting chance. Um, part of why Disney began to shift a little bit in some of its work in the city, uh, for example, they they gave up their $300 million subsidy to build a luxury hotel. Right. They, they, uh, they tore up the agreement of a 45-year tax exemption, uh, local tax exemption. Although no local tax exists on Disney, uh, the previous city council, very pro Disney, said if there's ever a local tax on Disney, they'll be exempt for 45 right. years. Right. Because um, only voters can put a tax in. So, um, so we, we believe that they shifted on that because the LA Times and the Orange County Register and, um, and uh, NPR began to cover what was happening in this huge mm-hmm. economic income inequality in Anaheim. Like, what's happening here? Right. How are people that poor in Anaheim that 95, 95% of kids are on free and reduced lunch in Anaheim? How do you have Bruno right. Serrato, a CNN hero, because he's feeding uh, a thousand Absolutely. kids a day in the yeah. city of Anaheim? How is that possible? And the Motel Kids documentary on OC yes. and yes. yeah, Gustavo Ariano, now uh, now a Los Angeles Times columnist who had been covering it from the OC Weekly. Right, um, right. Yeah. So all of that, like, hey, folks, there's a savage inequality right. playing out in Anaheim, right. and that's embarrassing to the company, right? Sure. And to the, 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 to the city, the shadow governments of the city, as we call them, Chamber of Commerce and some of these others. Uh, but really Disney, they got to protect their brand. Sure. So we saw that happening. So our, our goal with social media now is to focus on tagging national media, national political figures, yeah. national uh, columnists, so that uh, so we can say, hey, don't forget about Anaheim. Here's an example of everything you're talking about at the national level. And, and again, bring attention to, to our struggle here. Good. So, so it, is effective. it is effective. Yeah, absolutely. So before you go, because um, I do have to wrap up, I got a few questions for you that I ask about my guests. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Stay true. Stay true. Stay true. I love that. Yeah, stay true. And what's one book you like to recommend to people? <gasps> the Color of Law. Uh, the Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. Mm-hmm. If you want to know why you live where you live, if you want to know why your parents bought where they bought or rented where they rent, if you want to know how companies were set up in your local cities, this book um, uh, shows, uh, shows us clearly through examples and documents how local governments, we tend to think the federal government right. has been involved in segregation, racial segregation, and economic segregation, this book, uh, Richard Rothstein, documents how local governments collaborated, cooperated, and in fact, often encouraged those kind of mm-hmm. uh, through municipal codes, and but also federal housing loans, uh, state uh, laws, state um, uh, processes. So it's just it's it's how local, state, and federal governments colluded. Uh, to segregate America. It's a powerful book with powerful. It really is. It really is. I highly recommend it. Um, and and if, if I may, I would also recommend this one. Uh, because you, can, you can do too. Uh, African American and Latinx history of the United States. It's a powerful, powerful book. Reminds Latinos about our African um, yes. uh, heritage and ancestry as well. Uh, what we call, what is called Afro-Latinidad, but just this, these combined histories of just how uh, powerful um, 
history can be to inform our contemporary space. And who's the author on that one? Uh, that's Paul Ortiz. Paul Ortiz is the author. Good. Um, it's a great, great book that brings uh, two powerful histories together. Good. Love it. Um, so is there a hopeful message you can share with our listeners? Stay true. Stay true. Uh, you know, if you choose to go into elected office or into advocacy work or just any profession you're in, um, I know it's kind of a, a cliche of at the end, you have to live with yourself. Um, and there are just so many hard decisions to make that that may not always meet the goals you want. But at the end, if only you know if you're being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. So if someone calls you a sellout, uh, they don't think <laughs> you are because they don't see the background. But you know whether you did or didn't. You know why you made a decision or didn't. And also, you know whether you really worked hard to understand that decision. Yeah. Uh, or if you just work off of a lobbyist report or, uh, or even read anything. So stay true. It's my message. Uh, that, that's, that's what sustained, I think, a lot of us who, who try to stay human in this work. Um, yeah. So, I love that. So and then that. finally, who should we talk to next? Denise Barnes. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, a, lot, a lot of folks don't know this. This is district elections. She also got on office the same year I did. Uh, she was not in politics at all. She was just a, uh, involved in a lot of things on the west side of Anaheim. Uh, and what a lot of people don't know, because um, this is what I respect about Denise, she's, I, I believe she's third generation Mexican-American. So she's part of a generation that, uh, you know, was, was educated to just buy in completely and culturally. Mm-hmm. Her dad was, uh, I believe, was a World War II vet, um, Mexican-American. And so her history is quite powerful and interesting. But what a lot of folks don't know is she's the first Latina ever elected to the city council in Anaheim. Wow. Um, she doesn't wear it on her sleeve, so to speak, uh-huh. because her married name is Barnes. Yeah. Uh, and he has a wonderful husband, Scott. Um, so you wouldn't know. Um, uh, so, so she would be, and she's just, I think, I think when folks talk to her, they, they, they learn a lot about um, the, 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 the purity of the intent of running for public office and being in public mm-hmm. office. She's just so yeah. fresh of breath there. Good. Thank you very much. So thank you for uh, spending the morning with me. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much, Dr. Jose Moreno.